when you hear the word worship, what often comes to mind? Maybe it's a place of worship like the church or a person of worship, a worship leader, an order of worship, a list of of songs that are going to be sung on Sunday mornings. How about a time of worship, time set aside for a corporate worship or a couple of times set aside if you're us? A particular style of worship. Some of you, when, when asked uh, about worship, you say, I prefer a more contemporary style or traditional style of worship. So when you think about worship, you think more about your, your preferences in a style or type. Of worship, so, so all of us have certain things that come to mind when we think about worship. But while that's the case, while, while all of us think and talk about worship and feel as if it's important, while we have strong opinions about how it should look and, 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 and how it should be done, too few of us have been equipped from God's Word with what He has said about worship. And we're going to talk about that topic This morning, we are continuing our sermon series this morning entitled Discovering Fellowship. And you'll remember last week I shared with you that the mission for all churches given by Christ is that we are to be making disciples. And I also explained to you last week that that's what we're all about here at Fellowship Bible Church. That's what it says in our mission statement. Let's take a look at it. Once again, I know we looked at it last week. We're going to return to it again and again through this series. This is our mission statement here at Fellowship. Fellowship Bible Church exists for the purpose of making disciples by escorting people to Christ, establishing people in truth, and equipping people for ministry. We want to see those who don't know Christ come to know Christ, but like we said last week, that's just the beginning. That's the the start to this Christian walk. We then want to come alongside them through the ministries of this church and the ministry we do as believers and, and help them and assist them move forward in their faith by establishing them in truth so they'll be equipped to go and do likewise. That's the Great Commission. That's what we're all about here at the church. And this morning and for the next few weeks, I'm going to share with you how the ministries of this church help to accomplish these three things, escorting, establishing, and equipping. This morning we're going to talk about what we do in here on Sunday mornings and what we're to be doing throughout the week as believers. We're going to talk about worship. We at Fellowship are about worship. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 26 this morning. And what I want to do is I want to show you from God's Word what worship is, the right and wrong way to view worship according to Scripture, and also how what we do in here Sunday after Sunday equips you for worship and why it is important that you do not neglect this time that we spend together here corporately as a body of believers. There are several principles we gather about worship from this story here. Here's the first point we see here from the story on worship. Number one, we have to be prepared inwardly to worship God. We have to be prepared inwardly to worship God. 
Let's look at John 4. This is a very familiar story. The woman at the well. In this text, we are told in the first few verses that Jesus had gone through Samaria to a town called Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. Jacob dug that well, and it was still fully functional thousands of years later. And I learned recently that it is still fully functional today. Keep that detail in mind. That's very, very important. We'll return to that. Jesus, who was tired and thirsty, sat down near this well, and we're told that it was about the sixth hour. It was noon. Let's pick up reading in verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So Jesus is sitting by this well, and this Samaritan woman comes up, and Jesus strikes up a conversation with her, and he says, give me a drink, which surprises the woman. She is shocked by this, and there are a number of reasons why. Number one, because he's a man and she's a woman. In that day, it was not customary for men and women to talk like this in, in public. And so just a man talking with a woman he did not know in this way would have been considered inappropriate. Number two, she is shocked because Jesus is a Jew and she is a Samaritan. She even points that out. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? In this day, the Jews did not care for the Samaritans and, and not without reason. Now, remember your Old Testament. Remember, Samaria was in the north. And the Jews in, in the north were separated from the Jews in the south. After the reign of Solomon, the kingdom was divided. Ten tribes went north, and Benjamin and Judah remained in the south. And they both sinned against God greatly. And the Jews in the north went into captivity First, they were, many of them were carried captive by the Assyrians. And after that, many pagans moved into this area. They intermingled, they, they intermarried with the Jews and a mixed race of Jew and Gentile spawned from that and they became known as the Samaritans. And along with this mixed race, they, they mixed beliefs, the pagan beliefs with the beliefs of the Jewish people. And so they embraced this system of belief that was much different than the Jews in the South. Many of the Samaritans only accepted the first five books of the Old Testament and they ignored the prophets and the Psalms. They also rejected anything about Jerusalem, which makes sense because they're worshiping up north. They had made the central place of worship at Mount Gerizim in the north rather than in the temple in Jerusalem. That will be brought up later as well. Remember that. File that away. So the Samaritans, for these reasons and more, were despised by the Jews. They were hated by the Jews, so much so that, that many of the Jews would often bypass this region altogether when traveling to avoid interaction with them. But here we're told, look at John chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Why? 
Well, we're not told here. Some reason, well, he's probably in a hurry to get somewhere and he didn't have time to go around. I believe, based upon what we have here, Jesus went to Samaria because of this woman. He's well aware of this divine appointment that awaits him there. So this shocks the woman. Here's a Jew speaking to a Samaritan woman. The third reason she is shocked is because he asks her for a drink. Now, let me tell you why this would have been shocking. When Jesus says, give me a drink, what he's saying is, could you with your cup make me a drink of water? I think that's what is being referred to here in verse 9 when John says Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. What he means is they do not have these types of dealings, these types of encounters, and certainly do not share utensils, glasses, or cups. They clearly had some dealings with the Samaritans because notice the disciples go into the city to buy food. Right? So I believe John is referring to this type of encounter. For Jesus to drink from this woman, he had to drink from her cup. If a Jewish person would have seen Jesus in this day drinking from a cup of a Samaritan woman, he would have considered Jesus being ceremonially unclean. So she's thinking to herself, what is going on here? I have this Jewish man asking me, a Samaritan woman, to drink water from my cup. That would have been very, very shocking for her and anyone else looking on. And then to make matters even more shocking, what we find later in this text is this is not just any woman. This is a sexually immoral woman. Some believe that's why she is there at noon. In that day, women typically either went to the well in the morning or in the evening so that they would have water all day and throughout the night. So she is showing by going at noon that she is a social outcast. She's going when no one else is there. So the fact that Jesus is talking to her, initiating conversation with her is a big deal. Very, very shocking. Let's keep reading, verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So Jesus asked her for a drink. The woman's shocked by that. I can't believe that, that you, a Jewish man, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink. And Jesus responds with, if you really knew me, you, would have, you wouldn't have waited for me to ask you for a drink. You would have come and asked me for a drink. And, and then she's really confused, saying, okay, but you don't have anything to draw water with. And this well is deep. Then she asks a very good question. 
Where do you get that living water? That's a good question. Are you greater than our father Jacob? Jacob dug a well that's still fully functional thousands of years later. And even today, believers, that's pretty good, isn't it? Jesus doesn't deny that. Yeah, the well stood the test of time for 2,000 years and counting. People come here day in and day out to get water. The problem with this water, however, is that it doesn't completely quench one's thirst. This isn't this woman's first time at the well. And it won't be her last. People come daily to drink this water. And everyone who does goes back again because their thirst never gets quenched. They get thirsty again. Jesus says, the water I give satisfies. What is Jesus talking about here? not talking about physical water, is he? No, he's talking about something much, much bigger, much greater than that. He's talking about spiritual water. And when Jesus speaks of the water springing up, that can be translated leaping up. The picture is, is living water that is so dynamic, so energetic, so powerful that, that it does not just quench spiritual thirst for a time, but will spring up into the soul of that person, continuing to nurture him or her day after day, year after year, forever. He's talking about salvation to this woman. Look at what R.C. Sproul says about it in his commentary on John. Look at this quote. Jesus was using the element of water as a metaphor to describe a spiritual reality, something that would meet not just a need for the moment, but a need for all eternity. Jesus is talking about bringing lasting spiritual satisfaction to a spiritually thirsty woman, bringing rest to a restless and weary soul. But we know upon reading here that, that this woman still hasn't really caught on yet to what Jesus is saying. She's still thinking more literally and is kind of confused. She says in verse 15, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Boy, that sounded good to her. To have her thirst quenched so she did not have to show up at this well every day at noon by herself where she was reminded that she was an outcast due to her gross immorality. She's confused and Jesus knows this. For her to drink this water that Jesus is talking about, Jesus has to make her thirst for it. He's got to equip her to drink. She has to be prepared inwardly to worship outwardly. She, she has to see this inward longing that she has and how it cannot be satisfied. It cannot be quenched by worldly things. Here's the thing. Like the woman at the well, we all have this deep longing inside of us to be happy long term. We want to be happy. We want to be satisfied in this life. The problem is we don't know how to be. We don't. We try all kinds of ways to be satisfied apart from God and we come up short again and again and again. That's what's going on here with this woman. She has thought, sought to, to quench her thirst in a variety of wicked ways 
apart from God and Jesus is letting her know there is only one way for her to experience happiness long term. This woman comes to Jesus thirsty, not just physically but spiritually. She approaches Jesus empty, not just physically but spiritually. Her soul is barren. Can anyone relate this morning? Are you like the woman at the well? Do you thirst? Are you in hot pursuit of happiness, long-term satisfaction? Pay close attention to Jesus' instruction to her. Notice point number two, second principle about worship is this. We must have a correct view of ourselves to worship God. There are a couple of key truths that we have to know about ourselves from this text, from God's Word, in order to worship Him in the right way. The first is this. We have to realize that God loves unconditionally. God loves unconditionally. We said a moment ago, it's not by coincidence that Jesus goes to Samaria and has an encounter with this woman. We're told He had to go, right, in verse 4. It's not by coincidence that she is there by herself at noon. It's not a coincidence that Jesus is there without his disciples. And it's not a coincidence that he is speaking with her. It's not a coincidence that this woman happens to be a Samaritan and that she is immoral. God has orchestrated this encounter. Of all the people Jesus could have sat with on that day and revealed himself to, he chooses this immoral Samaritan Woman, His selection of her is unmerited, undeserved. And John, in telling us this story, is showing us that. That God has a heart for, for these types of people. Especially a corrupt Samaritan woman. He doesn't love what she's doing, but he, he loves her. And wants to be known by her. And longs to see her forgiven and restored. And longs to be worshipped by her. If we're going to worship God, it's essential that we have this understanding that God loves unconditionally. If not believers, He would not love any of us because none of us are deserving of His love. None of us. It's important for us as believers to realize that. Second truth about ourselves is a little more sobering but equally important. Second key truth we need to have a handle on if we're going to worship God in the right way is this. We have to realize God loves unconditionally and that we have rebelled greatly. God loves us. He created us to live in right relationship with Him. But we rebelled. We refused to live for the purpose in which he made us, which is for him and his glory. And we went against him, went away from him. If you're going to worship God in the right way, in a way that honors him, we have to understand the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. Look at chapter 4, verse 16 through 19. Jesus said to the woman, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. 
So here Jesus reveals to this woman that he is more than just some random somebody, right? Sitting by the well. He, he shows her. He knows all about her. He is addressing her sin here. And, and notice her sin is a complete disregard for the institution of marriage. That's this woman's sin. After five marriages, she's like, I'm done with the institution of marriage. She's just living with a guy who's not even her husband, and Jesus calls her out on it. Why? Because it's sin. Now, put yourself in this woman's sandals for a minute. She's just having a casual conversation about water. And out of nowhere, Jesus exposes her sin, her deepest, darkest secret. He exposes her checkered past, her dark history. And, and the woman, once again, is shocked by Jesus' statement, but notice she doesn't deny it. She knew she was guilty, and now she knows that he knows it, which is why she says, you're a prophet. She is affirming the truth of that statement. Truth is, the reality of sin, my sin and your sin, the reality of sin in our lives and world is one of the most obvious and provable doctrines found in the Bible. Is it not? Just turn on the news. Pick up a paper, go to the park, restaurant, wherever you go, what are you, you going to see? You're going to see sinners and sinful behavior. Now, why is it important that we, we understand this? Why is there hardly a page you can turn and not see sinners and sinful behavior and God condemning that sin? Go back to the story of the woman at the well. Look at it. Jesus speaks of her sin because he wants her to come face to face with the fact that she is in need of him. He has told her about the living water and now he's going to make her thirst for it. He is pointing out the sin in her life to show her that she is in need. For you to worship God in the right way, in a way that honors Him, you must be brought to your knees. You must see the holiness of God and your own sinfulness. And you must be deeply grieved by it so that you forsake it and look to God's Son for forgiveness and rescue for salvation problem with many is they don't want to be faced with this sobering truth, the truth about sin. That is certainly this woman's problem. She wants to avoid this ugly truth about herself, and we often respond in the exact same way. We, we think being in the depths is a bad place to be and want to avoid it at all costs. Listen, for you to truly experience lasting joy in this life, you must first fall into the pit of spiritual despair. You must be grieved in your soul by, by your own sinfulness. If you never deal with the depths of your depravity, you will never look to and, and cling to and trust in the Savior for salvation. That's where God wants this woman. That's where God wants you. Here's the third point about worship. We learn here we are called to worship God daily in accordance with His Word. Look at verse 20. It's a woman speaking. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, 
But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Now think about again what's just happened with this woman. Her sin has been exposed by Jesus. So what does she decide to do? Change the subject, of course. Yeah, you ever had that happen? Talking with someone about something difficult, and they, what do they want to do? They, they want to talk about the weather, sports, anything but that conversation. That was this woman here. She feels she is speaking to a man of God, so she gets him involved in a theological discussion. That way they can talk about something else besides her checkered past and her current relationship. And this is a good topic to accomplish her purpose. See, up to this point, like we said earlier, the Samaritans believe with all their hearts that the place where God wanted them to worship was at a sanctuary at Mount Gerizim in Samaria. The Jews felt equally passionate about the fact that, that God wanted to be worshipped in the temple in Jerusalem. So you have these two different groups, both believe strongly that their place of worship is the true place of worship, and this was one of the reasons, one of the many, that they had so much animosity and hatred toward one another. Notice how Jesus answers her question in verse 21. Look at it. He says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. So Jesus answers this woman's question but also alludes to the fact that she has failed to ask the most important question, not where to worship, but how are we to worship and who? First, he answers her question by showing her how far her and the Samaritan people have strayed from the truth. Notice he refers to the Samaritans as being agnostic. Do you see that? Not having a knowledge of God. He says, you worship what you do not know. The Jewish people worship what they know for salvation is from the Jews. Salvation is found in the word that God had given his people that the Samaritans had rejected. If her and her people would have received and studied all of God's word, they would have known that the Jews were God's chosen people, chosen by God to be a blessing to the nations, and they would have known that the true place of worship was at the temple in Jerusalem. So, so Jesus lets her know that there is a right and a wrong way to approach God. And up to this point, they've been in the wrong. Boy, that's important for us to know, isn't it? That there is a right and wrong way to approach God. We speak so, so often about our own preferences and what we want worship to be. That's the wrong place to begin. Who cares what we want? What does God want? What has he told us from his word that worship is to be? What we find when we study is that God has a right and a wrong way to approach him in worship. Jesus answers what the right way is in verse 24. Look at it. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit 
and in truth. What is the point Jesus is making when he says God is spirit? He's saying the God we are to worship is not bound by space and time. He's not limited to one place in the world at a time. He's not in Judea and not in Samaria. He's both places and more. God is fully present everywhere. There is no place where you can go and not be in the full presence of God because God is spirit. And because he is everywhere, now this is where theology gets practical. Good theology is. He rightfully demands to be worshipped all the time, everywhere, anywhere you go. He lets her know there is coming a day when the corporate place of worship will not be confined to one place. The corporate place of worship will be wherever spirit-indwelt, spirit-filled people are gathered. Jesus wanted this woman to understand that, that God is spirit. He's not just present with her here or there, but everywhere. He is present with her when she returns home to someone that's not her husband. He's everywhere, and he demands worship from everyone everywhere. Day in and day out, week in and week out. Folks, you're not just worshiping when you're sitting here on Sunday morning in this place. It's when you leave this place. It's when you're at work, when you're at home, when you're in your car, all the time, everywhere. And get this, this is really sobering. What you are in those places is who you truly are. John Owen once said this. He said, what we are on our knees in secret before God Almighty, that is who we are and no more. Now, he was saying that in the context of speaking of ministers, but it applies to all of us, right? Who are you when you leave this place? Who are you alone in secret before God. That is who you are and no more. This woman had to be equipped with this truth and we need to realize it as well. Last point about worship. We are called to get equipped corporately to worship God. Look at John 4, 24. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus makes a point here. Because God is spirit, he must be worshipped in spirit. Worship is not simply the words of our mouths, the outward actions of our hands and feet. Those things are to be an overflow of what is in our hearts. We have to be transformed from the inside out. If our hearts are not right, it doesn't matter what we say or do or how well we say and do it. There's no connection, no relationship, only separation. It's like a clanging cymbal if our hearts are not right. For true change to occur, God must change us from the inside out. He has to do a great work in our heart and life. And listen... He does that when his gospel is preached corporately to his people. The Spirit of God works through 
the preached gospel of God to change the heart and life of the hearers so that they can worship God. That's why this time is so very, very valuable, so very important. True worshipers worship in spirit after they're changed from the inside out, after they're transformed by the Father through the accomplished work of His Son, by the applied work of His Spirit, they come to the Father through His Son with their hearts filled with with awe and reverence toward God. They also worship in truth. God's people have to get equipped with the truth found in God's Word in order to worship Him in a way that is worthy of Him. Our worship is to be based on truth. Which means at times, to truly worship God, we have to be quiet and listen and be ready to be instructed from God's Word on who He is, who we are, how we're to live. Many think worship is all about me singing and shouting praises to God. Worship has more to do with my actions, what I say and do, than anything else. Well, we learn in Scripture what you find in your Scripture reading this week. Read Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Read that. What we find is that true God-honoring worship takes place when our hearts are opened, and our minds are open, and our Bibles are open, and our mouths are closed. Worship is just as much about what God says to us and the way He deals with us in His Word in, by, the, by the power of His Spirit as it is what we say to Him. There are many of you here right now who are worshiping God at this very moment because you're being attentive, you're, you're listening to the Word of God with your, with your hearts open, ready to receive and apply God's Word. That's worship. Worship is to be based upon the truth. So do you see why it's important that you, you come here on Sunday mornings and you get plugged in to our small groups and our, our men's and women's Bible study? This is the place that God has established, that He has set up, for you to come to get, to get equipped properly in the right way, in a way that honors Him, to, to, to worship Him in that way. This woman at the well had been instructed in truth from Christ. And notice the last exchange here that we're going to look at between her and Jesus in verses 25 through 26. Notice we begin to see a change in the heart and life of this woman. The woman said to him, verse 25, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. No messianic secret for her, right? He lets her know he's the Messiah. Jesus brings this woman back to the subject at hand. She tried to change the subject and is brought back face to face with the Savior. She went from assuming Jesus was a prophet to learning that He is the Messiah. And when she hears these words, we're told as you keep reading, read the rest of the story this week, she believes them and is filled with excitement and goes to seek and bring others to Jesus. 
The disciples come back with dinner. She comes back with lost sheep to be found. This woman went out on that day empty. She went home full. She went out thirsty, returned satisfied. She went out immoral and condemned and returned washed and restored. Went out a servant of the kingdom of self and returned a servant of the kingdom of God. She went out a social outcast and she came back and went out again a faithful witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and and you're like the woman at the well. You've sought all kinds of ways to be satisfied in this life, but you've, you've come up empty time and time again. Jesus invites you through his word to drink the living water. To come to him. Trust in him. Fall before him. Cling to him. So that you can have happiness, purpose, fulfillment, and joy that is everlasting. Jesus says in Matthew 11, 28 and 29, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He says, come to me and you'll find rest. If you're restless this morning, if you have a thirst I've been talking about for, for lasting satisfaction and happiness in this life, I invite you today to place your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ because get this, He and He alone is able to grant lasting satisfaction to a restless and thirsty soul. Let's pray together.